This season, we're sponsored by Conduit Studios. Marcel, how's the technology going for you? Uh, I don't know about you, Elise, but I am stressed out about tech on top of everything else in this fucking pandemic. Agreed. Conduit Studios is a production company that specializes in high-quality video and audio capture for creatives, run by musicians who understand your artistic needs. They offer high-quality, dynamic, multi-camera performance capture, which is perfect for concerts, auditions, live streams, and more. They are in an affordable and accessible way to elevate your digital presence. You can enjoy a low-stress, relaxed environment to record in so you can focus on your art, and they'll take care of the rest. Conduit Studios is based in Southern California, but they service many clients nationwide. Visit conduitstudiosmedia.com for more information or to schedule a session. Welcome to My So-Called Opera Light, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers, where we work to connect, inform, empower, and inspire musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Each episode, we'll explore a piece of the never-ending puzzle of the so-called opera life, humble brags and therapeutic complaints, as well as practical information about how this business works. Each piece helping you on your journey towards success, which we believe should really mean happiness. happiness. I'm Marcel. And I'm Elise. And we're two sopranos trying to live our best so-called opera lives. I am very excited. I loved this interview with Tracy Friedlander. Me too. I mean, Crushing Classical, her podcast, has been an inspiration to both of us for yes. a couple of years now. I mean, at least. I know for me, listening to her podcast actually helped get this one off the ground. Definitely. Yeah. It was like listening to her interview classical musicians talk about the ways in which we, they were diversifying their careers outside of just like the orchestra path made me go, we need this for opera singers because we're even more specialized within the classical music world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it's interesting. Like she, so she's a horn player and I, I think I thought the same thing as you. Like we need this for opera singers. Like I thought that like, you know, all the, of course, all the musicians, all the instrumentalists are having these conversations or ahead of the game. I got to freaking get on the game. Right, but like musicians coming on her podcast who were talking about, setting up LLCs and yep. creating a board of directors and how to do that. And how do you solicit donations when you're an independent artist and you're trying to finance your own projects? And I found my business coach through her podcast because it was one of her interviewees who was like, I decided I didn't want to do the orchestra route and I wanted to have my own ensemble and tour. And I was like, you're the person who's going to help me figure out how to do my thing. Yeah. Yeah. She is great. I loved, you know, just her philosophy and how the podcast has influenced her path, which I thought was really interesting. And she's definitely a person who started out thinking they wanted something and through kind of the journey. And I think she really puts emphasis on the journey, which is great, kind of is discovering different things she wants. And I love that she like doesn't have it like fully figured out, you know? Right. And she's like really open about it and kind of just like, that's part of the fun. She's like, oh, I think I want to like do a different instrument. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And here we all are sitting here going, I need to know what my 10 year plan is as an opera singer. I know. Yeah. And she's just like, yeah, I think I want to do, I want to do trumpet now. Like, okay. 
Yes. It was a joy to talk with her instead of just listening to her talk to other people. I know. I know. It was, it was like we were interviewing a celebrity. Yes. <laughs> she was very nice. You guys are going to love this episode. It's definitely filled with a lot of gems. And also, like I said, like you'll hear, you'll hear her journey. You'll hear how just open she is about trying new things. Now she lives in Mexico just because it's beautiful and why not? Yeah. And that's really like such a musician, like spirit i feel like i love hearing those kind of spirits right because art arch is about exploration yeah right it's really true she's so in touch with that and i I love it so enjoy this incredible episode with tracy friedlander of the crushing classical podcast well we are very happy and like so excited that you're here and it's so funny to hear you or to see you because like your voice is so familiar to me and it's I think very distinct and so it's just really cool to to see you and talk to you like even though it's virtual like you know in person or live whatever yeah so thank you it's so exciting thank you and you know, between between you guys and me and everyone who listens to this podcast, I kind of hate my voice. It's something <laughs> I had to get used to. Like, at first, I was like, I need to, I need to figure out how to make my voice better or different or I don't know something. And then I just kind of got used to it. So it's not, it's not. I don't. I like your voice fine. Yeah. <laughs> we're also we're also going to give you a spoiler alert. Every singer hates listening to their own voice. So really, this is a phenomenon. And it, and it really has more to do with the fact that we individually never hear our voice the way we sound in a space. And so our perception of our voice is so different from what it actually sounds like. Yeah. And so there is yeah. like, there's this weird psychological disconnect. You're like, that's not me. That's not how I sound. Definitely. Exactly. Definitely. So, you're in good company. Even the people who are professional vocalists <laughs> dislike the sound of their voice. <laughs> uh, well, for those of you that have not listened, for the audience that hasn't listened, do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? And sure. yourself. <laughs> and yourself, of course. Absolutely. So my name is Tracy. Crushing Classical is my podcast. And I started it in 2016 really kind of like, I never thought, oh, I really want to have a podcast, but I started to research musicians who were doing unique careers, something out of the ordinary, because my career was so traditional, but yet I was seeking out some other way to fulfill myself that didn't include going back on the audition track for an orchestra job. Cause I kind of had had it with that. And I didn't, I knew that it wasn't going to solve my problem. Mm-hmm. And we could talk about what, what the, I thought that was, if you guys want to go down that rabbit hole. But so I started to research what musicians created a career completely on their own. Like the first idea I had was maybe a traveling string quartet or something. So I just started to find more examples. And I said to my coach at the time, who was actually a partner on my podcast for a little while, I said to her, yeah, maybe I should someday I should have a podcast and interview these people. Cause it's really curious. Like I'm curious what their thinking was and why they decided to do that and why why they didn't just go the audition track like I thought everyone did. Like I completely mm-hmm. had blinders thinking that that was all classical musicians ever did. Mm-hmm. And she was like, when are you starting your podcast? And I was like, what? When I figure out what a podcast is, how to do it, where to put it, how to record. She's like, no, 
how you do it is you decide when your podcast is coming out and then you figure out all the stuff you need to do in time for that. And I was like, whoa, that is scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So she kind of, you know, she kind of, what do they call it? Like she held my feet to the fire, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to figure that out and do it. And I, you know, I was in this journey of figuring things out for my career. So I said, okay, I picked a date. And then I started emailing. She said, your, your job is to pick the date and email five people you want to interview and ask them to be on your podcast. And that felt so weird to me. Cause like, I didn't have a podcast. Hey, Hey, Giacomo. That was my friend. Who's my first guest. Will you be on my podcast? And he wrote back. Yes, of course. And I was like, Oh, I guess I have a podcast. <laughs> So, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah, we love your podcast. Your, your podcast was one of the first podcasts that I listened to when I started thinking about like, I don't know, multifaceted careers or like how to navigate. I didn't even know at that point like that I maybe wanted something that was my own. I just knew I I needed to figure out like what are other people doing to make it work? Because this is not working. <laughs> like s- something is not like normal here. <laughs> and I just mm-hmm. need to figure out what other people are doing. And you don't have those kinds of conversations in university settings. Right. So I was just like trying to figure it out. So yours was like one of the first ones I ever listened to. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, Thank same. you for being a listener. I love that. I love that so much. I think Elise, you recommended classic classical to me and I because I I was like on the podcast train but it had never occurred to me that there might be podcasts about what it means to be a classical musician and how to make it work and you were like you need to listen to this podcast yeah and then I was hooked yeah we were each other's we were each other's feet to the fire to get (laughs) that's awesome yeah Yeah. (laughs) so awesome so where is the podcast like now now 2016 however many years that is later yeah it'll be five years in october which i can't believe now i i still continue to publish two interviews a month it wasn't until the third season that i said i'm gonna take a break because i i just went straight through every two weeks for like two years and i never called them seasons either i just i was just going yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden I was like, I need a break. And I worried a little bit. What happens if I don't publish episodes for a few months? Take the summer off? Nothing. Turns out nothing. It's okay. You can do that, <laughs> which is really cool thing about podcasts. Yeah. People mm-hmm. discover it and they go back and they listen to all the, they binge all the episodes you've, you've already published. And so that still happens today where people find it and they go, oh my God, I just discovered this and I'm listening to all from the beginning, you know? So my aim is to do two episodes a month from, you know, August through June. And then maybe I take a month and a half off to to just take a break from it. And I'm starting to realize, you know, I was talking to Marcel right at the beginning of this about how you don't really realize because you don't, it's not like social media where you see the likes and you see the followers. I mean, you can check your downloads, but no one really writes to you and says, that was a great episode or whatever. So you don't really know, it's just out there. And so more and more, I'm starting to get clients from people who have discovered my podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to publish more episodes on different things. So I decided to start doing hot seat episodes with people who want help with 
similar things or the same things of the things that I do in my group programs. So I'm, I'm going to start publishing hot seat episodes with my clients and volunteers who want help with their teaching business and sort of real-time help. I used to do hot seats with my former podcast partner, Eileen, and she was, she was helping people with stuff and people still go back and listen to those, even though she hasn't been on, on the podcast for a while. So I know they're popular and I put, I did a few Facebook lives doing that, but I'm going to start publishing them on the podcast too. Cause that's the other thing you guys probably noticed that it doesn't necessarily translate that you have people downloading and they also follow you on Instagram or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I know talking into the void is something that a, not the reason we started the podcast, <laughs> and be like, not fun, just in general. Right. I mean, for us, we were like, we want a community and a podcast. We publish it, but we get no feedback. So how do we then like create community around the podcast? And that's why we're on Instagram so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you talked a little bit about what you thought you wanted. And I think even for Marcel and I, similarly, like we started the podcast, not we, we always say like, we don't know shit, like we don't know, like the answers, we're just on this podcast to like make a life a little bit better for all of us. And yeah. um, so like, how has the journey gone for you? Like, yeah, that's such a great question. So back in 2016, or before that was a time in my well, probably leading up to that year, I was really struggling with what I really wanted in my career as a as a freelancer. And then I had gotten a, a job in the North Carolina Symphony, but it wasn't a full-time salaried position with a chair that was mine. Like I was playing assistant horn and that was a per service gig. I got a couple one years, but it was it, I was always a sub, you know? And I know a lot of people will probably relate to this because there's way more subs than there are people who have jobs mm -hmm. and the sub feeling you feel subpar a lot of times like oh well you're not a real member you don't get a say you don't get to contribute your ideas for decisions about the orchestra or whatever so I felt like an outsider even though I was married to a, a member of the orchestra and you know part of the community there and the the, the job for 10 seasons and so to me, what I felt like I wanted was a job. I thought, I thought I wanted to finally prove that I could have a title. I thought that's what I wanted. And what the, what starting the podcast and ultimately the business helped me, but even, I even started to feel this way, even after just starting the podcast before I really had a, kind of a business per se around it, like I do now, it's something that's yours that you can say, you own and you have artistic impact on it. You get to make all the decisions. You get to decide who's a guest. You get to decide what you're going to talk about. You get to decide all the things. And I, I realized that when I thought I wanted a job, what I really just wanted was something I could call my own mm. because that's what it was. I, I thought I wanted a, a chair so I could say, I am this chair. I am this. Yeah, this is me. Exactly. But that's given to you. You didn't. Yeah. And I think that over time, because at first I had a lot of you know, imposter syndrome on how can I talk about, yeah, people should have, people should be more creative in their careers and do their own thing when I hadn't done my own thing. So I was mm. like, well, if I'm interviewing people and asking them about what is it like to have your own thing, then I can learn about that. And then as, as I did that, I realized, oh, I'm creating my own thing right now. Yeah. By doing that. So it was really powerful. The whole, the whole experience, it, there was lot, lots of ups and downs as far as you know, business journey and starting 
offers and things that I, I was experimenting with. And certainly it's hard because you're in charge and you have to decide what's happening. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's what I was looking for and not, not even realizing that. Yeah. I think like as a freelance musician, like you're constantly making decisions and like either like you're being led along or you're leading that like process of decision making, no matter where you are, like there's always that element that you have to guide that with what you want or you'll just constantly be tugged along the journey like and it's not satisfying at all i agree and you know i there's nothing wrong with being a freelancer right like there's nothing wrong with what i was doing before but i i think that no matter if you have a job and you have a position and you have a title or you're a freelancer or anything there's still so much value in having something that you can call your own because then you don't have so much attachment and like all your eggs in one basket kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like look at where the situation we're in now where so many people have lost their income and now they're looking at creating something and that's great. That's awesome. And the people who'd already started that process are just a little further ahead than the other ones who didn't. Right. And probably they're grateful that they started it. Right. 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 Well, I mean, and like the more people create their own opportunities, honestly, the more work we generate in general. Yeah. You know, if we're all waiting for the big institutions to like give us that title, give us that seat, give us that chorus stipend, you know, right, whatever, like then we're going to just constantly be in a situation where there's too many musicians and not enough work. Mm -hmm. But I think that process, too, because I'm in the middle of like getting my ensemble off the ground right now in the middle of a pandemic, too. And I think the thing that I've learned and through the podcast as well, and I don't know if you feel similarly, is like artistically, I think I came to, you know, as an artist, I have a really strong idea of what my voice is. But I kept giving that artistic power over to the people I would work for. Yeah. And it was it made it really hard for me to discern to discern about like what kind of rep I actually liked doing, what style of theater I liked doing because I had no say in that process. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, because I can make all the decisions about this, like I'm th really thinking through like where what stories do I want to tell? How do I want to tell them? What audience do I want to be speaking to? Yeah. Um, which is really powerful. Yeah. And like That's there's nothing amazing. wrong with ensemble work. Like there's a place for that. And like some people find that really fulfilling. But I'm learning for myself that like my instinct as a to be a solo artist is much stronger than my desire to be just another voice in an opera chorus. Say. Yeah. You know, I had that realization too. I started an ensemble before, you know, and we only played live, I think, twice. Oh wait, yeah, twice until everything started happening. So and then I moved to Mexico, but doing that as well, like what you just said, I realized, oh my God, I think, I actually think I play the wrong instrument. What? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Like I, the, are you a French horn player? Is yeah. that your instrument? Okay. Yeah. And the horn is so particular and so niched into this like segment of time, mm -hmm. you know, like baroque kind of mm -hmm. through the romantic era and then done like unless you're creative and you're like I'm gonna play rock on the horn which some people do like two or three people I know do that mm -hmm. and I started this ensemble and started kind of just exploring what can I 
and I, I make it sound so easy. Like I just started an ensemble. I was like, I can do that as yeah, a horn yeah. player. <laughs> like, does that even work? What will we play? We have to write all our own music. We have, who would arrange it? And so I ended up partnering up with some people who were much more versed at this kind of idea. And then I just felt like, I mean, I was like, I'm so grateful you got, like, I pulled it together, but I was still like, you still want me to be here? Cause you guys are way cooler than me, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And the pianist, his name is Jim. He arranged all this stuff for us. And then I found out about this this jazz tuba player named Daniel Herskadal. You should totally look him up on Spotify. He writes and, and plays the coolest stuff. You would never believe it's the tuba. Like it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. And my friend Shauna, who was on my podcast, Shauna Tucker, she's a cellist and singer. And she sent over on Spotify. She's like, check out this guy. He's so cool. And I listened to it and I was like, this could be played on the horn really easily, actually. It's perfect. And so I reached out to him and I was like, I love what you're doing. Do you sell your scores? And he was like, what do you mean? Like the sheet music? <laughs> like, he didn't even like know what I meant, you know? And I, and, and I was like, yeah, exactly. And he's like, yeah, sure. I don't know, 50 euros. And I was like, really? Okay, that's awesome. And so now I had this music and I bought, I think three pieces from him. And they were so, they're just so cool. So we played those live. We just sort of used the arrangements that he had and they worked. I, I, again, it was one of those situations that I sort of felt like I was finding my own place with music. Like I was having the most fun artistically than I ever had in my life, mm-hmm. ever. Like, I'm not saying that I didn't have fun playing like the Hindemith piece for Four Horns, you know, quartet. Right, right, right. It was fun, right? Yeah. But how many times can you play that? Right, right. Or the Brahms trio or whatever, right? Right, but- and then there's there's pieces you find yourself in. Like you find parts of your voice in that you didn't know you had. Yeah. Yeah, like I figured out how to improvise. Actually, there was a lot, some, some of his stuff was in, completely improvisational and I didn't, I wanted it to sound like the recording. So, and I didn't, I didn't have the skills like he does to like make something up for 16 bars. So I transcribed all of it. Wow. Whoa. By ear. By ear. Yeah. I found this app that I could slow things down and then try to write it out. And I'm not like, I was not, that was not one of my good grades. Right. 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 Yeah. In in school. That's that's so cool. And then, so then what led you to thinking maybe horn? What, what, I mean, the ensemble stopped in part, I'm sure, because it sounds like of COVID, but like, what, what led you down to think? I want you to talk about that. Uh, just side note, like I'm so interested about that because like sometimes I think we think if we start something as musicians, like we have to see it through. I think of this all the time. Like yeah. I'm not going to start an ensemble and it's, it's like the best ensemble ever. And like, I'm going to perform eight and I'm going to make it make money and blah, blah, Yes, yes. Now you're like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And like, that's yeah. very good. It's a very valid and like important thing to know. Yeah. So, I mean, I had so much guilt around that how am I going to make money? How am I going to pay Jim to arrange all of this stuff? Mm-hmm. Like I felt so bad about it. And every time I'd be like, guys, uh, I got to figure out how to, how to get us paid besides like just charging at the door. Can we have donors? Like, how does this work? And do I need to be a nonprofit or a for-profit? Like, what are all the things? And it was actually Shauna. Have you, if you haven't listened to her episode, you should check her out. Shauna Tucker. She's so great. Yeah. And she was just like, 
Tracy, we're here because we want to be here. Stop saying that. Like we're having so much fun too. And it was really hard for me coming from the classical world. Like people don't go to a gig unless you get paid. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, like we stopped not getting paid for gigs in college. Like we would get paid for pizza sometimes and that was good enough. But after you graduate, that's not good enough anymore. And it shouldn't be. And so I felt bad coming from that world saying like, hey, let's collaborate, let's have fun because I didn't want to be taking advantage of people. So there, that was like a big block for me. Mm. And then the, the other part of it was I felt like I was really drawn to being able to sing and admitting this on a singer's podcast. Like I wanted to sing and I still kind of do, but I'm so afraid of it. Yeah. Aww. And yeah, because I've never did it in public. And so I was telling Shauna, like I, it was funny because I would be like, let's do this piece and you can sing it because it would be so good. I love your voice. She'd be like, why don't you sing it? I'm like, I can't, you know, and she'd be like, yes, you can. Like it was so, it was actually just like an emotional journey just to have that conversation with her. Mm -hmm. And I never actually got to sing because then we didn't get the next concert out there. But I was like, I was determined to schedule to, to like actually program a song with me singing it. And and I was going to, I was super nervous just to think about that. That's cool. But there's something that really draws me to that. So I don't know. That's awesome. Well, I hope that that occurs. It's so funny that you said that just earlier today, I am running a training program with young musicians and we have one of them is a jazz trumpet player. And she told me the other day that she's interested in singing on her master's recital. Oh, wow. I know. Amazing. And they denied, the school denied (gasps) it. What? The school said that that was not part of her curriculum, like not a focus. And she's not allowed. She said like at the meeting today, like, I can't wait to get out of school so I can do whatever I want. And I was like, Yes, and we will be doing that concert because I need to hear that. <laughs> Guys, that makes yeah. me so mad. I know, I know. High school, I hope that you fail when everyone's teaching online and learning and exploring their own creativity and not needing degrees, FYI. I know. And pay, and going six figures into debt for that. Yep. To be told that they're not allowed to do something creatively. This singer has no degrees. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yep. And she like, and yeah, that, I mean, that's why we started this program for musicians, like, because as you know, and as you talk about too, you know, you don't get the information that you need to get at your university. And like, even just talking about like, you know, it's not like you don't learn anything, but you were talking about like, yeah, you enjoyed playing the music you learned on your instrument on the horn, but you didn't get the opportunity to ever like think about things outside of the rep that they just told you to sing and like it just wasn't a conversation yeah right yeah wouldn't that have been cool if it was and actually I had a trombone player friend who did do that on his own he was in an acapella band and he was in a ska band wow and he was a trombone major at Indiana and his his senior recital was so cool not only was it packed but it was entertaining Imagine that. Wow. The recital that was entertaining, you know? And I remember thinking like, that would never be me. I would never create a recital like that. That is so cool. I think that trumpet players should sing anyway. Yeah. I mean, they've, the the embouchure is not dissimilar. Of singing and playing the trumpet? Yeah. There's an embouchure for singing? Oh, oh yeah. 
Oh, it's all about the tongue and the soft palate. Ooh. She's, cool. she's intrigued. I am. No, I would love to see that trumpet player just sing anyway. Yeah. Never ask for permission when you, it's easier to just. Just do it. Yeah. Well, she's going to, I'll I'll tell her to listen, Marissa, if you're listening, when you, when you listen and when you sing your concert. She's doing this song anyway, so, on the trumpet, so she could What's just. What's going to happen? Are they going to kick her out? No. Yeah. They need her yeah. money, so. You know, that's the other thing that I've said on my podcast before, and I'll say it here too. It's like, you're, you're the boss. Actually, you're the one paying. Mm-hmm. Yep. The yeah. end. The end. You're the client. So yes. like you're paying them for the, for a service. So exactly. True. Exactly. So until people start to recognize that, like, I, I can't wait till they really do on a bigger scale. Right. Yep. Definitely. Well, I mean, I feel like I, so I, I did go to undergrad and I just didn't finish. So I went for two years and, but I mean, like I was in that mindset cause I didn't start my undergraduate until I was in my twenties. And, you know, so I was like, I'm paying, I'm paying you $30,000 yeah. a year for this education to help me be able to be a marketable musician. And like felt frustrated by the lack of opportunities and whatever. And like the the same, like don't color outside of the lines kind of attitude that they had there. And I'm autodidactic. So I'm like a super curious person in general. And then as soon as I'm curious about a thing, I like, I'm in a rabbit hole. You're not going to see me for a while, (laughs) you know? And so to like be in an environment where that was, they were really trying to curtail that. You know, like I wanted to be in the wind ensemble because I played clarinet and I wanted to be in the guitar ensemble because I played classical guitar and take piano lessons and sing. And I was a vocal performance major. And they were like, it's too much. Cut it down. You're here to sing. Do that thing. You know, and it's just like, why? We're an artistic endeavor. You wouldn't tell an art student, a painting student, that they can't, like, explore their voice, explore their style. Culture or something. Right. Like, they're they're constantly, like, you know, I had friends in the art department that were like, yeah, we're constantly being pushed to, like, find our boundary and move past it. Right. You know, like, why don't classical musicians learn how to improvise, learn how, yeah, you know, to just like be encouraged to listen to tons and tons of rap and do stuff that's not normal. Yeah. And um, go outside the genre. Why not? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that everyone's being put into this mold. And then now, like you said earlier, too many musicians, not enough jobs. Because yeah. people aren't thinking outside the box. They're not thinking, oh, I could create my own thing, whatever that is. Right, right. right. And even if you have the mind, I think what I was trying to say earlier, and I sidetracked myself, <laughs> was that like, you know, even if you have the mindset, I think as a student of like, I'm the consumer here, I'm paying you. I don't think we often feel like we have permission to like hold our institutions accountable for that, though. Like there's still no, doesn't feel like there's space to say, I'm the one paying you this is a thing I want to explore. How do we, how do we make these things work together? Right. Well, you're 18 too. You're like 18 years old and like just coming out and you just want to be in music and you're like supposed to learn. You're supposed to have the guidance of, of leadership and, and people that know about the business and know what yes is out there, you know? But sometimes those people have come from like some, a super direct career path out of an orchestra. Like my right. teacher was, you know, in the Cleveland Orchestra for 40 years or whatever, you know, and that's it. Right. But you're right. And the other thing you just brought up was you're 18. Like you're, I don't, I wasn't like this when I was 18. 
Like (laughs) I need this choice and I need to be exposed to this. Like that's the job of the people who understand the business and the landscape of the industry. Right. We are glad to have the Sparkle Twins back as sponsors for season three. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York. Their business offers mouth masks to protect you from unwanted germs and conversations with cute phrases like, yes, I am an opera singer. And no, I will not sing for you. Check out their shop at www.sopranotwins.com shop. So through like the podcast and, you know, your journey of discovery on this career path, what are some of the things that you now advocate for or teach or coach to help like what kind of spots are you filling in the gaps for (laughs) yeah so right now the you know the people that I'm teaching in my programs are people who are creating unique music studios and the reason I say unique is because like everyone has something about themselves that's different from you know Mary who teaches violin and Joe who teaches violin and you know, Sarah, who teaches violin, if you all just, if they all show up online and say, I teach violin, it costs this much money, then how are they going to decide between those things? But Joe, Mary, and Sarah are three different people who have different interests and different things to bring to the table that are valuable. And so what, what I help my clients do is create offerings that reflect their, their uniqueness. So if Joe also teaches fitness for violinists and how to avoid injury. And also he knows everything about equipment so he can help you pick the right equipment. Like now that's a different person from Mary who also supports people who want to sing and play improvise or whatever, you know, like, so you get what I'm saying. Like if everyone brings in some of the stuff that makes them unique, like I'm working with people who want to talk more about the mental side of of the way they approach the instrument and make it a bigger picture situation. Or a lot of times it's the value that you already bring to your students, but you don't get actually recognized or, or paid for it. Like you spend tons of extra time helping a kid apply to college and fill out the application and choose the colleges and map out where they're going to go and help the parents, like all of those things. And then you get paid 80 bucks an hour for the lessons. Why not create a package around all of that so that you're the obvious clear choice for the parent. Like, oh, I'm going to need that help when we get there. Right, right. Like a lot of help. And I really want to be supported in that situation. So so it's it becomes that you can be a teacher and a coach for the things that you are an expert in, including your instrument, but also outside of that. And so it's really fun, actually, because and then what what the next step is, is talking about that, because a lot of people just the only people that know about their amazing abilities and expertise around other areas besides their instrument are the people that are already working with them. So now it's about how do you tell stories? How do you build authority around who you are publicly so that you become known for that? Yeah. And then people find you that way. And then they say, oh, I want to study with Jennifer for that reason, because she knows all this stuff and she's going to help me with this. And, you know, and then that's how we as classical musicians can say, oh, you know, even though I teach the same instrument as 500 other people, I'm different. Mm -hmm. 
So, and that's what's powerful because, you know, in, in the classical music world, what's so frustrating and so hard about the whole thing is I went to an audition and there are 250 other people there. And the only way that I can set, set myself apart is playing more perfectly than the other people. And right. like, and that's, that's a lot of stress and pressure. It's impossible. And it's impossible. <laughs> right. right. And then there's so many other factors outside of yourself, the right. mood of the, of the committee, if you played first or if you played last, you know, all the things that you can't control. Yeah. Politics. Right. Let's not, right. let's not fail to remember that, uh, adding that into the mix, because many times you'll be the best player in, at the audition and you're not chosen because they knew the other person already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't care how many screens there are. Yep. You know? Definitely. Right. I mean, it's hard enough pill to swallow knowing that. And then it's a whole another thing to be like, okay, well now, now I know that I'm not going to be hard on myself, but right. what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and what if you make what if you make eighty thousand dollars a year as a teacher already? And so when you take that audition, you're like, hey, I can be freed up with the financial burden of like this is my everything. I have to get hired or I'm not gonna make money. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus right. I already make money. And so if I get this job, I can just lessen my student load or whatever. Yeah. Or right. change things up. Right. Or even I mean, it's even just in the context of starting your own ensemble, doing your own projects. Like I know yeah. even for me mentally, I took a Certainly, we most of us took a break from auditioning during the pandemic, but it's interesting to me to like, I'm thinking ahead to the fall now and going, well, I've got two years of programming planned out for my ensemble at this point. And so like even just mentally how I'm approaching auditions, it's like, well, I'm like, unless they're doing something I really, really want to do, I'm probably not going to spend the time to apply for that thing. Because before I was just like, you you feel like you have to apply to everything and audition for everyone just because you're like desperate for work. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm doing my own thing that's artistically fulfilling. That comes first. And then I can choose to audition for the stuff that I care about. Yes. Yeah. Which is I also going to so just much. change how you show up in the room Definitely. there too. Totally. It completely changes it. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not so attached. Yeah. To. I need that thing. This is my only artistic thing, or this is the only one I want. You know, you've created your own thing that you care deeply about, and all that stuff is is icing on the cake. Then, right? yeah, right, yeah. If you want a case study for what you were just saying in terms of like even listening to your podcast, I business coach started business coaching with Kate Kian because I heard her episode on your podcast talking about how she created her ensemble that travels and gigs all around. I'm like. That's a thing I want to do. This is a person who I can say, oh, you've done it. You can tell me how. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. That's so great. That's amazing. And that's a testament to getting on other people's podcasts. Yeah. Definitely. To to grow your business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's so amazing. And yeah, that's one of the that that's the reason I had her on. I was like, oh wait, she didn't wait for somebody to say, hey, you could be a soloist. Right. She just was like, I'm a soloist. Right. Right. And I so resonated with that. And I resonated with her talking about like talking about like how she was like teaching at the school and like had a whole studio of students and was like just burnt out because it was like Mm -hmm. they weren't her ideal student and like totally got me rethinking. Why am I teaching again? Yeah. (laughs) Who do I want to be teaching? So thank you. Like (laughs) that's so awesome. And yeah, you're so right about when you rethink how you teach. And create it so that some of the other aspects of who you are are being used. 
then you're like, wait, this is way more fun. And now I can, I can find clients who want exactly that thing. And maybe I can let go of some of the ones that, that aren't so ideal, like the kid who doesn't practice or, or the one who never pays on time and never shows up. And like the ones who make your life as a teacher, no fun. Right. Right. You can be like, actually, Hey, I have a good suggestion for another teacher for you. You know? (laughs) Right. And like, if you stack your student, if you, if you're able, like, if you give yourself permission to like wait to stack your studio with the students who like give you energy through teaching them like then it's not like I always felt exhausted by teaching Mm -hmm. and now I just have students who like I can really help them in meaningful ways and they show up in a lesson and it's like there's just like this beautiful thing that happens and I'm like I'm I'm happy that I taught a day of lessons instead of feeling like why am I doing this (laughs) yeah exactly I love that that's awesome where does performing fit into your life now I mean I know it's a little bit of a you don't have to obviously right now there's a, a huge limitation but it's been called the great reset I think that's a good name for this time and how has performing changed for you and what is the future of performing in your in your career yeah you know I'm not sure since I've been here I'm like I want to be a mariachi trumpet player <laughs> <laughs> and I'm serious about getting a trumpet I I sort of really love the laziness of it not to say that you can be lazy and play the trumpet trumpet is hard but you've seen people who are like burp, 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 you right, know right, and right, like right. <laughs> you can kind of fall <laughs> off notes in jazz situations and it's not like if the whole on the horn when you do that it's like I've spent a whole like lifetime of a career about being perfect and never missing or chipping a note that's what the horn is about and mm. so there's some kind of freedom around Oh, I could play an instrument where like that's musical to do that, you know? So I kind of want to buy a trumpet. I kind of want to sing. Yeah. I don't know what it looks like, you know, because I love being here and I also love my business. And so, you know, I think that energy that I got from thinking about performing is fulfilled in growing my business. So I feel fulfilled in that way. So I'm not feeling like, oh, you know, there's no performing in my life. So I'm something's missing. I don't feel like that. Mm-hmm. But then there are certain times where I'm like, I really do want to sing. I really do want to try the trumpet. I know I could play it because the horn and the trumpet aren't that different. I'm not saying I would sound awesome on it. It would take, I would want to practice, but I think that'd be fun. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, I remember, you know, speaking to the, like those confines and those rules, I remember people saying like, you can't play the trumpet if you play the horn, because it's so different. It's a different embouchure. You're going to screw up your, your face for horn. And now I just don't care. Like, right. And honestly, to me, it feels like it'd be more, it, it, it seems like it's probably more likely that you would start singing and start playing the trumpet and learn things there, right? Because now you're yeah. a student again. Yeah. That will probably make your horn playing different and more fun and more magical and more flexible. Yeah. You know? And I will say, I don't care if I don't play in an orchestra again. I feel complete about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning of, March, 2020, I had several gigs on my future calendar. They were ballet gigs that I wasn't necessarily like, oh, when they got canceled. Yeah, yeah. Hate to admit it. Like, I mean, Tchaikovsky's Cinderella for the horn is like two and a half hours of playing offbeats. Oh. <laughs> so I was oh. sort of like, oh, it's canceled. <laughs> yeah yeah 
For those of you who cannot see our Zoom screen, she just silently cheered. Yay! <laughs> it's off the calendar. Oh. I know. I think there's a process when you go on this journey, when you're willing to take the journey of discovery of what you actually want, there's a little yeah. bit of of a process of of like figuring out what you want and there's like a definite like mourning and and like a sense of loss when you realize something you were doing like maybe isn't in what you are going to do in the future like it still can be sad and like and also very rewarding and like on to the next thing at at least in my experience in the process that I'm in right now like coming to terms with some of that is tough Mm -hmm. I think I'm I'm lucky in the way that I I phased it out in a way that I certainly wasn't feeling like how I feel now about it like a year ago or or so maybe even two years ago you know I was still still like oh I still want to play gigs I still want to play gigs then that turned into I still want to play gigs if it's the right gig if it's not a pain in the butt for me if it's if it pays well if it's fun Mm-hmm. you know, and I did gigs like that. But a lot of times what I felt after them was not really that fulfilled, especially compared to my ensemble. Like I remember this ballet that I did where it was a lot of French music with lots of horn solos and it was fun, but it I did, I played really well. Like I remember being like, damn, they should be so happy I'm here. And And what happens in real life in classical music is if you didn't really screw it up, then they don't say much. <laughs> oh, wow. You did a yeah. good job. Yeah. Good job. Good job. Good job. Right. Done. 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 Right. It's, there's like a weird lack of affirmation. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Right. Like we talk about people when they, when they fuck it up. Yeah. But we don't, we don't uh, hype each other 100%. when it goes really well. Oh my God. Classical I was like, musician. do you realize how hard what I just did is? Yeah. Right. And then you feel like you feel like guilty for feeling proud of yourself too. I don't know if yeah. that happens to you. Yeah, we are we I mean, classical musicians are so critical and love like mm-hmm. talking about the technique and the criticalness of all of that. Like I remember this is like so random. I don't have like all the details in my head, but like I was in the car listening to somebody sing opera like that somebody sent me or something and I was like with my cousins and I was like, "Oh, that that wasn't that good. And my cousin is very like, you know, smart and and like curious. And he was like, wait a second. Why are you saying that? Like, I don't, you know, they all know I'm an opera singer and they don't know anything about opera. And they're like, why are you saying that she is like not, not good? And I was like, so then I like told him, you know, well, she's doing this thing, la la la, you know. Yeah. And he was like, oh, interesting. And it was like very hard for him to hear. And it's like, really? No one cares. Like they don't even know if it's good out there. They're just like yeah. <laughs> only the classical musicians in the room over there. No, and everybody else is like, "Good job." Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so true, and I think that's a mistake we all think that our audience is our peers. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people come on social media and they're like, "But what if my, you know, what if my colleague thinks this is dumb, or what if?" What if my other colleague makes fun of me behind my back? Mm. Mm. And I'm like, well, they're not your effing audience. Yeah. Like, are you trying to teach them something? Are you trying to enroll them in one of your programs? Probably not. Right. right. So they can, you know, right. just forget yeah. about them. Yeah. That, that is so true. That is so true. I mean, 
yeah, I mean, the number of times I've been like, oh my God, there was like a little bit of breathiness in my high note. What are people going to think? And yeah. it's like the audience is on a different journey. Yeah. They're on the artistic emotional journey and they're going to, they're just going to assume that that's a color I'm using mm -hmm. to express the thing that I'm singing about. They're not going to be like, mm, you didn't have the best approximation of full closure <laughs> on your high C. You know? <laughs> like, I say it all the time now. And the musicians, singer, I say it about singers. They get very uncomfortable. And I tell them that singing well doesn't matter. <laughs> That's funny. And they're, like, and they're like, um, I don't know really? how to respond to that. And I'm like, I'm not saying don't be a good singer. I'm just saying it's not that important when you're thinking about getting a job. Like, you need, like... <laughs> like what is your connection to the text and what is your connection to the people in the room and like the, like <laughs> there's a lot no of other things about that yeah right because you can have no matter what instrument you play you can have the most perfect technique in the world and if you if you have nothing to say with it you know like what it, uh i thought about this i was thinking about this this morning you know like there's a difference between accuracy and making music mm -hmm. definitely yeah. I think that's why I'm drawn to the trumpet. It's like, there's there's this, I mean, not classical trumpet. Let me be clear. I don't want to play <laughs> Mahler 5. But like, you know, the jazzers who are just like, like I listen to this little group. You have to check them out. They're called, I think Isaac and Nora. I have to check. Okay. They're this little sister and brother duo from France. And they are so cute. And she's like 11. Wow. And she has the cutest little voice. And they always sing in Spanish or French, but lately a lot of Spanish, which is cute because I don't think she speaks Spanish. So she rolls her R's like, like very much. It's really funny. Everyone who's, who's a native Spanish speaker, who's heard her is like, don't you think she's doing a little too much on that? I'm like, yeah, but it's cute. <laughs> and the boy, the boy plays trumpet and then he sings too in harmony with her. And it's just so, so cute. And, you know, his trumpet playing is just like the jazz or kind of like Harmon mute. Right, right, right. Hill, you know. Yeah. And sometimes their dad joins on trumpet and he sings a little too. And it's just, I want to be them. <laughs> yeah. I want to join their band. Right, right. I've been watching a lot of videos of, of Chick Corea because, you know, he passed, yeah. he passed away and my musical partner he was a jazz pianist before he was a classical musician cool and i've been learning so much from him he's like he keeps pushing me to like improv let's do let's i'm just gonna lay down a baseline like just sing over it like whatever and you know like we you should have you should learn to improvise and i'm like i'm a singer i have to sing the notes on the page and he's like no no even when you're singing notes on the page like do something different every time like give me something different and like it, that's really hard for me yeah right that perfectionism is a hard thing to break but like watching Chick Corea and like just like riff with Bobby McFerrin or riff with a classical cool. guitarist or whatever. And there's like so much joy in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like so much joy. And like you're watching them like looking at each other and smiling. And there's like these little little jokes that you can see them having musically with each other. They like we're not in on. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful. And I'm like, I, f I need this in my musical life. How? How how do we get back to this? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, like, exclusive to anything except classical music. Right. Like, how do you think about classical music now? Like, and what do you think about the limitations of, or I don't even know how to phrase this question, but I think sometimes we talk about, like, creating your own opportunities and 
other genres and look at this and and, mm-hmm. and my thing is like I fell in love with classical music and I'm not saying I never want to do anything else I absolutely do but I always want to I'm proud of I'm proud of that it's fucking hard <laughs> yeah no I get that yeah that's a good question because as you were talking about Chick Korea and their little jokes and and stuff that was happening on the stage in real time that doesn't happen in classical music ever hardly mm-hmm. ever maybe in a chamber music setting if the people like each other but a lot of times people don't like each other on the stage mm-hmm. i've never seen it i can guarantee you that there's no orchestra on the blue planet that we're on <laughs> that all the musicians adore each other yeah it doesn't exist mm-hmm. and i was at i mean and that that's so i don't care if it sounds rude or or people are going to listen to it and go, that's not true. I love my colleagues. I'm going to call bullshit Mm -hmm. because there's always some drama because it's like a big 70 person family full of drama. It's run by an outside entity, which is the, you know, the management. And there's a lot of drama there. It's just a ton of drama. And when you look at like, Chick Corea's band or, you know, I went to this jazz concert and like, I'm sitting here trying to remember that I'm blanking on the, the, the composer's name. He's a jazz pianist, Vijay Iyer. I went to his concert and he said to the audience, these 12 people or however many people were on the stage are my favorite musicians on the planet. Wow. I am in the most happy place I could possibly be right now. These are the best people. Mm. And I remember after that, making a post that said, I've never heard a classical musician say that. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Like, I think what would be really great, the future of classical music, you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see a bunch of people who've chosen each other to play with. Wow. Yeah. And move forward on a project, which would be incredibly hard. It would be a major undertaking and it would be fucking phenomenal. Wow. Mm -hmm. I got goosebumps. Really? It's true. Like, think about it. There's people who've been in an orchestra for 50 years and then there's people who just joined yesterday. And then you're saying, now you guys all have to play together in the sandbox. Right, right, right. Right, right. And like part of what makes the magic happen, like that gives you as a, even an ensemble, the the feeling like you're allowed to play. Mm Mm-hmm is that trust with each other right yep. and it's hard to trust someone you don't like yeah <laughs> yeah i mean or don't you, know or don't know oh god i mean there's so many stories of people who wouldn't talk to each other for 30 years who sat next to each other in all major orchestras i'm sure there's a story like that whether yeah. it's happening right now or it happened in the past yeah and it's you know? so it's so crazy that that that's true because at the same exact in the same exact breath like we all love music because of the connection. We love playing with other people. Like, we love the collaborativeness of it. <laughs> yeah, but when it becomes a job and you get paid a salary and it becomes a job, mm-hmm. meaning like, I want to show up and do the minimum amount of work and get my paycheck so I can go home because this is a grind. Mm-hmm. And I have to do a lot of stuff I don't necessarily want to do every time because I have to because that's part of my paycheck. And so I would say that maybe the paycheck is the problem. And, and that sounds like a really strong statement, right? Because a paycheck is a, an awesome thing to get. Mm-hmm. Like if you can get a job that pays you a paycheck and that's kind of the burden of making your 
money by, I don't know, selling something or something like you're getting paid to do a thing. And now you can just focus on that thing and do it really well. And you know that you can rely on that money coming in. That mm -hmm. seems like the dream. That's what I wanted when I was in college. Like, oh, you know, that's the end all be all. Mm -hmm. But but the truth of, of having a job that pays you a certain amount is that the people who are paying that money hold the cards. Yeah. So yeah, you can play 12 Masterworks concerts, but you also have to do all this, like, you know, the stuff that we know sells tickets, like a movie night or some other thing that maybe you're, you're not artistically excited about. Yeah. And, and then maybe that's just, you know, up to the musician's attitude about, okay, well, that's what I have to do in order to make the money. That's part of the agreement. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes as well, too, because you're focused, you spend your entire career learning the excerpts so that you can play the major repertoire. Mm -hmm. And then you get there and you find out you don't, you do that like one tenth of the time that you're there. Wow. Ooh, yeah. So interesting. I mean, certainly it, it, it makes me think that it's time to maybe advocate for a more holistic approach to orchestra organization. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah. probably I should take that back like one tenth, maybe in a smaller orchestra, maybe orchestras with bigger budgets can play more right. masterworks concerts because there's a, they're in a bigger city and it's more demand for more right. Beethoven, more Mahler, more Strauss, whatever, more opera. It just depends on where you're at. Yeah. Right. But the person paying the bills. Yeah. Yeah. And we know they're not doing that AA plus job over there either. So <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. it's not yeah. like they're doing a stellar yeah. job on their end either. Right. <laughs> Well, on some level too, I just feel like, I feel like, you know, also what I'm hearing is maybe we should all make sure we have a second instrument that we play that we don't get a paycheck for. Mm, that would be cool. So that we at least like have something to like, one, be like we're making music that doesn't include a paycheck, at work, but we're also like still kind of a student of it. And you're, and it's your artistic outlet. Yeah. One of my yeah. barn teachers was in a barbershop quartet. I don't know if he still is, but. That's awesome. Yeah. So I know that there's things that people do creatively outside. And I think that's really important Yeah, to have. Right. Instead of this, like, well, if you only, you have to do the one, only the one thing, otherwise you're not being serious enough. Oh yeah. There's a lot of judgment around that. Being very serious. Yeah. Especially if you're a business owner as a musician too. Yeah. Now, not to give you a super hard question at the end. <laughs> do you have a favorite interview? Oh, on my podcast. podcast. Yeah, or like who do you who do you feel like or do you have like any one person that you th think like helped shift kind of your trajectory the most for the podcast? Yeah, and yourself and just the way you think about things and That's a good question. I think I think shifting how I thought was a, a collective process over the time, but whenever people I have a lot of favorite episodes, but one of my favorites was this guy named Murray Hittery and not a lot of people know who he is but i hope that more people find out who he is he's an improvisational piano player and he hosts meditative concerts in nature yes his name yes. he has his business is called mind travel wow and he shared the story of how he started his business on the podcast and it was super emotional and powerful and sad wow. but also really cool his journey amazing yeah i think that that's an episode that I think about a lot, actually. Really, really, yeah. I haven't. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting the chills thinking about it. Like how he used his own music to heal himself from a trauma, and then he turned it into a way to, 
you know, bring people together around that. And it's a business. Yeah. And it's super creative. And I don't know anybody else who's doing something similar to that. Yeah. So I thought it was super inspiring, that one. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this stuff. I feel like we could go on forever about all different topics. (laughs) I love talking about all this different stuff. So, Well, it also feels like because we've been listening to your podcast for so long, I mean, it just feels like we're talking to an old friend. (laughs) Awesome. I love that. I I feel the same about you guys. Oh, thanks. So where, where can people find you and where should they go to to uh, follow and find out more? So my website is crushingclassical.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Same name, Crushing Classical. And I, I also have like a resource for people if they want to find out more about what I was talking about with the student stuff and, and really expanding and exploring what's possible with teaching. It's at crushingclassical.com slash get dash more dash students so i can i can give you the link i'm yes, in the yeah, process of the making show that easier but I'll, I'll definitely give you the link to that too perfect. so they can get it perfect yeah awesome. thank you awesome. so much thank you all right thank you tracy you're welcome That's it for today. This podcast was created for all the opera singers out there getting shit done. So keep on keeping on, people. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review it to help spread the word. You can also support the podcast through Patreon, where you can get early access to episodes, merchandise discounts, workshops and resources, and ad-free episodes. And you did hear that right, people. We now have merch. Find out more about all of this at mysocalledoperalife.com. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us for our weekly coffee chats every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern on Instagram Live at MSCOL Podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk and edited by Joshua Wise. Questions or comments? Email us at info at mysocalledoperalife.com. This season is sponsored by The Empowered Musician. The Empowered Musician, founded by Dr. Dana Lynn Varga, helps musicians to forge their own path with pride. Dana is a fierce advocate for singers and a leader in moving the classical vocal industry forward. Through the EM website, you can read Dana's articles, schedule one-on-one career coachings, book Dana for a speaking engagement, or sign up for her upcoming affordable six-class series called Everything You Need to Know About Entrepreneurship for Singers, which starts on April 10th. The Empowered Musician also has incredible artists on staff, offering voice lessons, musicianship lessons, and both dramatic coachings and repertoire diversification sessions for singers. Voice lessons are available for a wide range of ages, levels, and genres, and their highly sought-after teachers are accessible from anywhere in the world through virtual lessons as well as eventually in-person in multiple cities. Keep an eye out for additional professional development courses such as acting for singers, body mapping for musicians, intro to jazz singing, and more. Be sure to check out www.theempoweredmusician.com.